Well, good morning and welcome. We're glad that you have made us a part of your weekend. And if this is your first or second time here, we're especially glad that you're joining us, whether that's in the room or online. It means a ton to us that you are taking part out of your weekend to be here with us. This week, we are in week three of this Christmas playlist series where we're taking a look at the three songs or the four songs uh, that are in the Gospel of Luke. So far, we've taken a look at Mary's song. We've heard about Zechariah's song. And this morning, we'll hear the song of the angels. But as we listen to the angels' song today, I think we've lost something in our culture. The angels' song is essentially all about peace. How many of you in the Christmas time or the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas feel peace? Yeah, I'm glad you're chuckling because as I wrote this, I was like, I have lights to hang, a tree to cut down, presents to buy, travel plans to make, multiple services to plan, sermons to write, lists to check off, crowds to fight, parties to attend, and we're going to go see the extended family over Christmas. All of those things are like the antithesis of peace in a lot of ways. I had to go to Walmart yesterday. Whew, I don't ever want to go back to Walmart again after that. That's just my life, though. I know many of you have finals to take, end-of-year financials to wrap up, or sales goals to make for next year, loved ones to care for. And the truth is, our list goes on and on and on. I don't know about you, but sometimes those weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas or Thanksgiving and New Year's really are just a blur. And by the time you get to New Year's, you sit down and you go, I don't know if we accomplished anything or not, but I survived and that's an accomplishment. And then honestly, I think sometimes we as a church, we compound that. We make it worse because you come to church or maybe some of you were forced to come or forced to be here. Grandma told you you can't have dinner if you didn't come to church. And what you hear in the midst of that is in the midst of your holiday desperation, we're supposed to have hope. In the midst of our pain and hurt, we should feel loved. In the middle of what feels like absolute chaos, we're keeping up with the Joneses and doing all the things to make sure we fit in. We're supposed to experience peace. Peace. That thing that just seems elusive sometimes. Now, all those messages are true. All of those things are true. We should experience love and hope and peace and next week joy as we walk through this, but sometimes if we don't say that message right, if it comes across wrong, it feels like one more thing we have to do. One more thing on the to-do list to check off, or maybe even worse, it's just one more way we failed this holiday season because in the midst of everything else going on and all the other things that we've had to remove from the list, Peace is just not there. And so if this is ours to make, thanks for reminding me again I've failed. That's not what I hope you hear this morning. 
The truth is, I know where you're at when it comes to no peace. It has not been a peaceful couple weeks in our home. There's lots of things to do. And the last thing I want to do is put unnecessary expectations on you or myself in the midst of that. But instead, this morning, I pray you hear this truth. Jesus came to bring peace to our chaos. Jesus came to bring peace to our chaos. That's part of the gift he brings. It's not something we have to create. But before we unpack that statement this morning, would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we've come this morning each bearing our own burdens as we walk into this room, each wrestling with our own stuff, each struggling to figure out all the details of this holiday season. But God, I pray for the next 35 to 40 minutes, we can let your spirit refresh us, pour over us, that we'd be reminded of what your son brings to our lives. And God, that we will walk out of here maybe a little less burdened because of the truth of your word. So God, we ask that you would speak and do what only you can do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the song of the angels we're going to look at this morning is probably the shortest song we'll look at. So I want to look at it in context the way we have the other two. So if you've got your Bible, your phone, go ahead, pull that out to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'll remind you, if you're using the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, uh, you can go down to the bottom there. You can search Great Oaks. You'll find us in all the sermon slides that are on the screen. will be in that app for you. The other thing that's really cool about YouVersion, if you're not familiar with it, is if you take any notes in these verses, they're saved forever. So you never have to find that notebook that you wrote them down in. They're right there. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Seems like a common refrain. Can we just agree that everybody who meets an angel must be terrified? First it was the teenage girl Mary, then the old man Zechariah, now the shepherds. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those on whom God is pleased. So while none of us might be shocked that the shepherds are terrified when an angel shows up, that's been the common refrain, maybe what is a little interesting is that an angel appears to bring the greatest news of all time. The Messiah has come, the king the Jews are waiting for, the savior of the world, to a group of social outcasts to a group of people on the fringe of society. This birth announcement of Jesus is actually the antithesis of what a 
typical ruler in this time's birth announcement would look like. In a Roman ruler's birth announcement, a poet or orator would declare the birth with much fanfare, is surrounded by social elites in a palace. But these angels come to declare the birth of Jesus to shepherds in a field. Think about our lives today. Think about how much money and energy we spend on baby showers, on gender reveal parties, how much pressure we put on young couples getting ready to have kids because they have to have the perfect themed nursery, right? Some of us are just glad that it takes nine months to have a kid because it's going to take us 18 to get our house ready. But this announcement of the long-awaited Messiah came to shepherds, to humble, blue-collar outsiders of society. If you lived in this day and time, you didn't go become a shepherd as part of a get-rich-quick scheme, right? This isn't shocking information to most of us. They live in a field with sheep. I don't know if you've spent much time around sheep, but I think the only thing that smells worse than a sheep is a chicken, they're just awful, right? So like, that's what these shepherds spend all their time doing. They're living in the fields with their sheep. And because of the work they do, because of the closeness to these animals, they're considered ceremonially unclean. They can't be in relationship with others. Any true Jewish person of that time would keep their distance because to be close to a shepherd would mean that you couldn't come to church that week. You wouldn't be welcome. And when we think about the birth announcement of this kid, forget the perfectly painted, perfectly decorated, themed nursery. There's no delivery room. There's no midwife or doula, no doctor, no nurse. There's simply a young teenage mom, her teenage fiance. And the reinforcements that come in the middle of the night, in the midst of their exhaustion of bringing this life into the world, are shepherds. I think Luke is using this dichotomy between the Roman Empire of the time and the birth announcement of Jesus to show that this kingdom that God is bringing to the earth will be different than the earthly kingdoms they or we are accustomed to. Jesus' kingdom will not only be different in its announcement, but these angels announce peace. And that, that peace will be so much different. If you know anything of history, Jesus is born into the Roman kingdom, a kingdom that at that time is in the middle of what we call Pax Romana, or Roman peace. It's a period of 200 years where the Roman Empire saw unprecedented growth and economic success. But the depth of the peace that Jesus brings will be so much different. You see, historians tell us that the Pax Romana was established and continued based on military might and fear, and the power of the Roman rulers pushing people down. The announcement of the angels to the shepherds is about a kingdom of peace that will welcome the humble, 
the outcast, the weak, the broken. The ruler of this kingdom will create a peace that's much deeper than surface level. It'll transform hearts and lives. He'll establish this peace through acts of service to those around him, to meeting people where they are and welcoming them in, and he will make this peace permanent by giving up his life so that we could experience peace. That's the announcement these angels bring of this peace that will come. It's the reason they come and praise this new king to the shepherds and invite them to go and see what the angels have done or what God has done. When we understand biblical peace, we see it's about something different. Biblical peace is completeness, soundness, and wholeness. It's not just about the absence of conflict. That's what we think it's about. That's what the Romans thought it was about. We think peace in the Christmas season is about, here's the list of topics you don't bring up with Uncle Jim at the dinner table, right? Because if you talk about any of these topics, peace is over, the whole thing's gonna be ruined, this whole like show we put on will just fall apart. Don't talk about these things with Uncle Jim. Or maybe for you, peace in the holiday season happens on the evening of December 25th when all the gifts have been opened, all the kids are excited, their energy has been boiling, all the trash is taken out, and everybody's in bed. The kids have run themselves in the ground, and you get to sit down, and for the first time all season, with a cup of hot cocoa or coffee, and enjoy a Christmas cookie in silence. And that's peace. Or maybe, maybe if we're really honest, no one would admit this, right? We, we way too calm for this. But peace happens when the last family member leaves our house and everything's cleaned back up and you can sit, fall back into your routine and just be like, they're gone. We love to have them here, right? But they're gone. My aunt says this. I don't, oh, this is what happens when I wing it. My aunt says that fish and family smell after three days. So that's, so, so family should come to visit for three days. So that's the way it goes. So anyway, but there is this sense of peace, right? Like there's people invade our homes. I'm going to go invade my in-laws. I know when my, when we leave, they're going to be like, oh, it's great to have them. And we're so glad they're gone. That's not the peace Jesus wants to bring. That's not the peace Jesus has for us. The core idea of biblical peace is that life is complex, full of moving parts, relationships, and situations. And when any of those is out of alignment or missing, our peace breaks down. Life's no longer whole, and it needs to be restored. The message of the angels that first Christmas evening was that the baby had come who would restore us. Restore our broken relationships and make our lives whole. Theologian and biblical scholar Tim Mackey says, True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationship, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Let me take you back to that line I don't want you to forget. Jesus came to bring peace to our chaos. 
The baby lying in that feeding trough is the long-expected king from the line of David, the prince of peace that Isaiah declared. He's the one who makes us whole. He was the whole complete human that we were made to be but failed. And now he gives us his life as a gift. Luke takes this theme of restoration, wholeness, and peace and stretches it out all throughout his gospel because Jesus doesn't remain that baby in a manger. He begins a walk to the cross. And as people encounter Jesus all throughout his life and ministry, their peace is restored. With the time remaining this morning that we have, I want to take a look through the gospel of Luke at the ways that Jesus restores peace to those he encounters. The first one is Jesus' peace restores us physically. If you're following along in your Bible, we're flipping up to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And I'm not going to read all these stories, but summarize them. There's this man who's paralyzed. He's got four friends who know that if they can get him to Jesus, Jesus will heal him. So they pick him up on the mat. They go to this house and the crowd is so thick around Jesus. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know this story and they can't get in. So they decide to go up and climb the roof and dig a hole into the roof. These are not friends you want coming to your house. They just cut a hole in the roof and drop the man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks At the man, and he looks at his friends, and in Luke 4.20, he says, it says, Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't look at the paralyzed man and say, be healed, stand up and walk. He looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. He sees the brokenness Deeper in his life. He heals his sins. He restores this man back to spiritual health first. And then that makes the religious leaders upset who are all around. And they're like, who's this guy think he is that he can forgive sins? The only one who forgives sins is God. And this guy is not God. I don't know what he's thinking. And Jesus responds to them in Luke 5, 24. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And if you walk to the story, the man stands up, rolls up his mat, and walks out of the house, restored, healed, made whole. Luke doesn't use the word peace in this story, but we see clearly that this man's life that was broken is restored and healed, not just physically, but spiritually as well. You see this as Jesus restores wholeness throughout the gospel of Luke. You can pick your encounter with somebody else. He's restoring them in multiple ways each time he interacts with them. Now, for those of you who are hoping for physical healing this season, I want to remind you, this season from the church's perspective is called Advent. And that's a season of waiting for Jesus to come. Our healing could be instantaneous. 
the physical healing we need from Jesus might take time to restore. And so I want to encourage you as you think about this piece or before you just give up and say, well, I've wanted healing for a long time, but Jesus hasn't brought it. I guess I don't get peace. Know that Jesus is going to do that in his timing, in the way that he sees fit. Not only does Jesus restore our peace physically, he restores our peace relationally. We're going to fast forward to Luke 8, 42 for this story. One of my favorites in all of scripture, there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Now, I have no clue what it feels like to be a woman, to have that cycle every 28 days. But I can imagine for 12 straight years, this woman has not stopped bleeding. Much like the shepherds in the story earlier, that issue has made her an outcast because in this society, women, when they were in that cycle, are not allowed to be at worship. They're unclean. She's come to such a place of desperation You can imagine how anemic she must have looked after dealing with this issue for 12 years. Alone. Cast off. She risked life and death to come into a public crowd. The religious leaders of the day could have had her executed for what she did. She pushes through the crowd because she believes if I can just touch the hem of Jesus cloak as he passes by, I'll be healed. She wants to receive that peace. She knows that an encounter with Jesus might be the only hope she has of physical healing, but that that physical healing will restore relationships for her. 12 years of isolation. So she risks it all. She touches Jesus' cloak and immediately she's healed and Jesus makes this ridiculous statement, who touched me? And Peter, in pure Peter fashion, is like, hey Jesus, we're in a crowd. There's a bunch of people shoving against you. Everybody touched you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 power left me. Somebody was healed because they touched me. And this woman comes forth. And as Jesus closes the interaction with her, he says this in Luke 8, 48. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in wholeness. What was broken has been made right because of her faith. The relationships that she desired would now be possible. Do we believe That Jesus has the power to work in our lives to restore our broken relationships. This is a hard one. I'm not going to lie to you. Many of you know my parents are divorced. For most of my teenage years, for no fault of hers, I hated my stepmom. I wanted nothing to do with her. I don't know if it was just like me trying to stand up for my mom and be the good oldest son or what it was, but I would go and just avoid her all weekend long. 
And finally, in my mid-20s, I couldn't figure out why my dad never came and visited. And Corey looked at me in the way that only my very humble, very gentle wife can, and she said, would you take me any place I was going to be disrespected? Oh, pulled a knife out of my back. No, probably not. She said, maybe your dad doesn't come around because of the way you treat your stepmom. And Jesus began to work. Began to heal that relationship. Began to help me see, she's going to be there. She's going to be grandma to my kids. And I had to trust that Jesus was going to bring peace to that relationship. But the truth is, folks, if we have relationships that are in conflict, we have relationships that are broken, we have relationships that are torn apart, we're not going to experience the peace Jesus has for us this holiday season. Where do you need to trust Jesus to restore your broken relationships? Jesus came to bring peace to our chaos, to all that's broken. Third, Jesus restores peace to us financially. Fast forward to Luke 19. This incredible story of Zacchaeus, we all know him as a wee little man, climbed a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see, right? I won't sing for you, it's really bad. Uh, And so Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm coming to your house for lunch today. The religious leaders, again, because they love to sit and judge the people that Jesus goes and hangs out with. They're like, he's going to a house of a sinner, a tax collector of all people. Why would he go there? The Bible gives us No context of what Jesus says. It actually, in this story, doesn't say that Jesus said anything, but they get to Zacchaeus' house. And in verse eight of chapter 19, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man who was a son of Abraham is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus knows. Zac- Jesus didn't say any. He's not like, hey, Zacchaeus, I know you've been stealing. You need to give back what you stole. It's something about the presence of Jesus in his life that causes Zacchaeus to realize his understanding of money, his desire for riches, his cheating of those around him is wrong. And he allows Jesus' presence, the peace of Jesus that comes with his presence to invade that place. And Jesus transforms that. I think if we're honest, our finances are one of those areas that we can quickly get off track. But the baby in the manger who came to the shepherd, who was told about, told first to the shepherds is the same one who grew up to bring peace to our lives, every area of our life. And if financial peace is one of those things, you're like, hey, Jason, you know what? Physically, I'm great. Relationally, I'm good. Let's not talk about money. I want to invite you back in January or maybe scare you away so you don't come. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to live in God's design for our finances throughout January. Not in a way that says, hey, just give us your money. That's not my goal. My goal is to help you understand that God wants you to be free of this burden. And there's a plan for us in that. But it brings us peace. 
when all of those things are whole. Lastly, Jesus' peace restores us spiritually. Luke 7, 36 through 50. There's this incredible story of Jesus having dinner again at a religious leader's house. He's seated around the table and there's a woman there. Since Jesus walked in, she's been weeping at his feet. She's broken an expensive bottle of perfume and anointed his feet with the perfume and her tears. She's wiped his feet with her hair. She's cared for him. And what are the religious leaders? They don't even say it this time. I love this scripture passage. They think it. If Jesus knew who was touching him right now, he wouldn't allow it to happen. Their pride and their arrogance has gotten in the way where this woman's humility and brokenness has brought her to Jesus. And Jesus, it says in the text that Jesus knew their thoughts. Like, that would be fantastic. I'm glad he doesn't come to my dinner table and know my thoughts all the time. But wouldn't you just love to be sitting there and you can tell this guy's not happy that this woman is there. And all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, Simon, I got a parable for you. Based on what you were thinking right there, I got a parable. And you'd be like, what do you do about my thoughts? But he tells this parable. And at the end of the parable, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus turns and looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Again, these religious leaders, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This baby, born in a manger, is going to be this king who walks to a cross, who hangs there and dies to pay the price for my sin and your sin that we can't pay for, who three days later will walk out of the grave, guaranteeing our peace. And he looks at this woman who everybody else says is an outcast, is broken, is beyond hope. And he says, go and be whole. You are forgiven, restored. The angels declared it to the shepherds in the field that day. Jesus came to bring peace to our chaos. Jesus' arrival that first Christmas changed everything. It would be his mission to restore humanity. It's why we see him all throughout the Gospels, healing people, casting out demons, breaking down social barriers, and forgiving sin. 
Jesus' very presence brought wholeness and completeness to the lives of those he interacted with. When Jesus encountered lives that were fractured, he spoke healing, forgiveness, and peace into those situations. This is the power of the gospel. It's the power to take our chaos, our anxiety, and stress, and to make us whole. All Jesus says, do you have faith? Do you believe I can do it? I want to go back to that Tim Mackey quote. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. Whether it's our lives, our relationships, or in our world. We've talked a lot this morning as we've walked through the Gospels about our lives and our relationships. As you think about that this holiday season, where do you need to experience the peace? What area of your life would you say is just not quite there? You need Jesus to speak truth into it. You need to believe that Jesus can actually change it. And you are yearning to experience his peace. But the third part of what Tim Mackey says is that it should bring peace to our world. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're to be peacemakers. We bring the message of the Savior who brought us peace to a world who needs it. Who do you know who needs to hear that Jesus came so that they could have peace this holiday season? Whose life needs to be restored in the way that only Jesus can to be made whole? That's our calling. As followers of Jesus, is to be peacemakers, to be messengers of peace to those who need to know Jesus. In just a moment, we'll pray and close and invite you to come up and celebrate communion. Communion is the reminder that that baby in the manger went to a cross so that you and I can have peace. It was his body that was broken for us. It was his blood that was spilled to pay the price for our sins so that we could be made whole. Our relationship with God made whole. Our relationship with others made whole. Our relationship with ourself made whole because of what Jesus came and did. And so as we remember his death on the cross, I pray that today, as we celebrate that, you're reminded of the peace he wants you to have and the peace we're called to share. Will you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, God, it makes no sense to us when we look at this birth story. You sent your son, the Messiah, the King of Kings, to a manger. 
You didn't bring royalty to that nursery. You brought an unwed teenage mom. You brought shepherds. But God, in that you've shown us that it's the humble who will experience peace. So God, I pray that in our lives, you would humble us enough to say we don't have this whole thing figured out yet. And God, that in that humility, we would come to you and ask that you would restore our lives to completeness in a way that only you can. God, I pray for each person here this morning, whatever that burden is that they walked in the room with, that God, your presence in their life would remove that burden, would calm that fear, would allow them to know that you want them to have peace. And God, I pray for each one of us who call ourselves followers of you. Give us courage. Give us eyes to see. Give us wisdom to know how to speak. But God, to take that message of peace to everyone you call us to. To not be afraid to speak on your behalf. To not be afraid to engage those who maybe everybody else is casting aside. But God, because you didn't push us away, help us to draw them close the way you have drawn us close. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the peace that you bring. We pay all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.